All right, lecture 15, second half. Uh, like I said, there's, <laughs> there's a lot that we- uh, Go back though and catch what we missed. Yeah, for sure. Let's do, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so what uh, kind of key points from uh, last time, the first half or whatever, would you like to discuss? Or yeah, just throwing it out there because <laughs> there's, the, there's a lot here. You throw one for us first. <laughs> well, I was just looking through uh, Shalise's uh, uh, questions and, and things there around minute 43-ish, 43, 45. Um, <clears throat> and I was like, oh, yeah, um, I have thoughts on that sometimes. <laughs> but um, so the the one about uh, uh, Jehovah and eating. So these are the, the three messengers that come to uh, Abraham uh, right before, like with the oh, yeah. Gomorrah destruction type thing or whatever. Um, it was very interesting reading through uh, the book, The Blessings of Abraham, as a book club and everything, and kind of taking a look at all of the traditions and and things about that. And so that's one point where it's not like I, I disagree with Gileadi, but I I just think that there's enough evidence to prove that it wasn't Jehovah, that it was actually Enoch and uh, his counselors that came to him in that moment. But I could be wrong. You know, I'm I'm good with whatever. But if it is Jehovah, so uh, let me just read what Gilead says. So one of them is Jehovah and he's eating. Think about what that implies, right? I love the scriptures. They're so full of mysteries. So um, implying that Jehovah already has a body and is eating or that there's some sort of possibility that a pre-mortal being can have telestial food kind of a thing um but i think it's easily explained with enoch but uh, if it is jehovah then that is uh, a very key insight of uh pre-mortal stature of uh jehovah there so i don't oh, know you know there is another place where uh in the old testament where it was when they were getting ready to take the walls of Jericho down mm -hmm. where they say that was Jehovah too. Yeah. You heard that? Uh-huh. Yeah. And so, so there might be something there. Yeah, for sure. Well, it it's how you think it's Enoch. Sorry, what was that? So Alethea said, why do we think it was Enoch? And then what it was Amy saying? No, go ahead, Cameron. Answer that yeah. question. Oh, so um, looking at the 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 life of Abraham, and uh, that book is an excellent uh, one that lists thousands of footnotes and uh, traditions and everything. Um, but that Enoch was was personally ministering to Abraham most of his life, as we see from uh, Gileadi's lecture here. Um, that there's different, there's kind of like a change of guard of, of ministering angels as we ascend the ladder. But Enoch was one that was assigned to Abraham because Abraham was asking to be translated. That was his greatest desire from his youth was to, to live an Enochonian life and be translated up to that city. Uh, that was an overarching desire of his. And so Enoch was sent to, to minister to him under the the name of Metatron. Uh, he had many different names that he presented himself to, to Abraham by, but Metatron was was one of those. And then it's interesting that even in this scenario, so through the sacrifice that Abraham performs in order to save Lot and those out of um, Sodom and Gomorrah, that's when the change of guard happens is after this um, this experience. And so it still would be 
Metatron and his counselors or Enoch um, at that point. But again, yeah, I could be wrong. Maybe he had a change of guard even before that that um, isn't documented. But um, anyway, yeah, those are some of the, the parts that I remember from that book to, to maybe go look up and to look at those resources. That's super interesting. I, yeah. I think it, yeah, I, I think it, um, just a couple of thoughts mm -hmm. with, you know, with like the angel of the Lord or Jehovah. Um, yeah, I don't think it, well, I, I swear he even pointed out somewhere in this that it's not like every time that's mentioned, it's actually Jehovah. It's more, you know, someone on his errand or something and, and how people will go to worship them you know because how how heavenly they are and and they're corrected don't you know in not you know to not worship them but so i think i yeah it seems like there's times where i i would agree with you it seems like abraham assumes that just because it says jehovah that it's jehovah um instead of maybe considering that it could just be an angel on his errand or, you know, um, but then also just with, with that, what you're saying about Enoch, it would make sense too, because again, the other assumption of just cause it says angels, that it is someone who lived in the past or someone who, you know, someone who isn't currently embodied or living or whatever. Um, I think, I mean, we can see again or remember that that's like a title, right? Um, that that is that ascension level, essentially, that they have achieved that angel status or whatever. Um, like, like that would make sense with Enoch, you know, what you're saying. So mm -hmm. anyways, yeah. And Not it's interesting kind of looking at uh, some of the patterns throughout the scriptures. Uh, if you study divine investiture and... Uh, some of the misconceptions behind divine investiture, because I know that there's a lot of that throughout the, the seminary and institute program as well, but um, that, that Jehovah and the Lord usually don't bring others. They, they come as, as a solo person kind of a thing versus whenever a messenger is sent, he sends them in threes. Um, in order to like you know Peter James and John uh, the the true messengers from God they're always sent in three to, to witness of a <clears throat> uh, well not witness of but uh, to to bring somebody into the presence of God uh, there's usually three people that that perform that process kind of a thing or uh, extend keys or or do things but um, a lot of times uh, when Christ appears he appears by himself or with the Father kind of a thing so i mean there there is threes in in that scenario kind of a thing but um i i would throw out the hypothesis uh from my understanding that uh christ usually doesn't come with two counselors um he'll send three counselors or um he will come with the father kind of a thing but i could be wrong But yeah, with uh, <clears throat> Jericho and uh, things like that, I would also uh, heavily bet that that would be Enoch or um, another uh, one of the archangels. Mm. Oh, yeah, mom.
Did you mean to raise your hand? There you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, I was thinking about when, <clears throat> when Abraham was, um, they had him strapped on the altar, you know, and, and it said the Lord, did it call him the, the angel of the presence there? Yeah, the angel of the presence is a title for Enoch. Uh -huh. And yeah, and so and we've talked about this before that we think that was uh, Enoch that saved him from that. Mm -hmm. But man, I brought that up in <laughs> one. Can you remember that? Uh, one of the other Isaiah groups, the one with Jeff and <laughs> what's his name? And oh wow. Uh oh. They didn't, they didn't agree with that at all. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, we all have different uh, takes yeah. on things and stuff. So. <laughs> but yeah, that's one thing that E. Douglas Clark, uh, the author of that, that book, has thoroughly convinced me. All of his research and different things uh, to really mm -hmm. to inject yeah. uh, or <laughs> not inject because that would assume that it's not in there originally but uh, assume that that Enoch is the one ministering to, to Abraham throughout his whole life and it's interesting because if you if we look at all of the angelic appearances to prophets in the scriptures they're all being ministered to by one of the archangels and so like um, Ezra Daniel uh, when they name their angel yes a lot of times they have like a title for them as well but uh, oftentimes they'll mention them like Ezra is Uriel, right? Uriel is the one guiding him through. Uriel is Moses, uh, makes sense throughout, uh, all of their, their mission because they're, they're the one sense that know the desires of their hearts. And so anyway, I think it's the, the same thing in this case, but you know, I could be wrong. It's not like I'm going <laughs> to, if I get, uh, proven wrong on, on a point, I'd totally open to it. There a list of those um archangels yes i have no uh -huh. words today like the the dispensation heads the archangels yeah, yeah. It, that's a really interesting list because uh m there's quite a few old testament prophets who line them out and, and put them um in different orders but i would argue that they're all in the same order but they're uh referencing different things um I, yeah, again, let me find my my chart. It's in one of my classes that <laughs> I had there on YouTube. I, I Didn't I send that heifer one out um, uh -huh. to everyone? So there was another class that I taught that went through Ezra's Eagle and all the dispensation heads that, that he lines out there. But yeah, so I mean... So what would be the current one for President Nelson? Uh-huh, so Joseph Smith and... Uh, That's what I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And knowing his name and uh what <clears throat> he calls himself there in, in Doctrine and Covenants, his his name. So which is yeah, tell us. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that one. <laughs> well, in doesn't he call himself Gasoline in the in the Doctrine and Covenants as a code name? Um, but other prophets call him different things. Which is interesting. In the Book of Mormon, they called him Joseph. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but at that time, his life wasn't threatened. 
Right, right. Didn't we just read about that a week or two ago or this week about the prophecy of Joseph Smith coming and Mm -hmm. Joseph of Egypt and being named after his dad? Yeah. Um, Let's see. Except, you know what I find interesting? And is, uh, well, no, maybe not. I think I've, I don't know. The Pickerings were talking about how they believe like it, there's two different Josephs being talked about in that, or Sears, sorry, talked about in that chapter. And, um, and they do say, yeah, Joseph after the, his father, Joseph being Joseph Smith. And then, um, but then the the end, I think it's the second to last verse when it says like a mighty one and, and our footnotes reference Joseph Smith to that. But um, in earlier editions of the Book of Mormon, it said a Lamanite prophet, not Joseph Smith. And so, yeah, just think mm-hmm. there's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, much like this uh, with the Doctrine and Covenants that uh, the original kind of uh, things are uh, have been changed over, over time, right? And they got rid of uh, gasoline. But uh, if you look at the um, original ones, that uh, that's what he calls himself in there. Oh, so that's not in the current Doctrine and Covenants, the gasoline? Uh, no, yeah. In the current Doctrine and Covenants, it says Joseph Smith. But if you look in the 1835, then it's um, gasoline. So I it, think they uh, left it in one spot in the Doctrine and Covenants. It wasn't changed. Yeah, I, and see, I need to to brush up on it. I I can't remember. I'm gonna go look because exactly. I think I remember talking about that in church. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting with that, right? Because gazalim, like if we're talking about im Hebrew endings, it's a plural. It, yeah. you know, like, and what that implies in in the whole process. That's what I was just thinking. Yeah, that's cool. Don't the rest all end in l? Mm-hmm. Or do they? Yeah, Michael, Gabriel. Yeah, when they do a list of all of the prophets, like in the past, all the the dispensation heads, Joseph Smith's is an L ending, um, but he uses a code name for himself uh, in the the earlier Doctrine and Covenants as Gazalim. And there's lots of- Is it G-A-S or G-A-Z? I believe G-A-Z. I could be wrong. I think it's G-A-Z. It seems to me like- this tells how old I am. I, my <laughs> earlier Doctrine and Covenants, I thought, because I remember reading those in there, and I don't have an 1835 edition, you know? Uh-huh. And so, um, <clears throat> but I remember reading those because I thought that was weird <laughs> when I was little, you know, when I was young. Yeah. Let's see. What are we? I believe it's in 77, no? Um... <laughs> You're always faster looking up stuff than me. See, that could be because I came home off my mission in 70. I think it is in 77. And I I had my other ones. I'm in Doctrine and Covenants section 77. Oh, 77. Oh, okay. Oh, 77. I thought it was 76. And it could be, but it's somewhere around there. (coughs) He's talking about him. Let's see. And a stone. While you look for that, I do have a question. I mean, this is at the end of the lecture but you know he he he's 
a number of times, you know, he's adamant that the angel from the east is not John the Revelator. But, you know, and he, so he, he's quoting, oh, where'd it go? Oh, right there. Uh, he's quoting verse nine, um, you know, and he says uh, it, that talks about, or, you know, this is the question of what are we to understand by the angel ascending from the east? And then it explains the job of that angel and says that, and if you will receive it, this is Elias, which was to come to gather together the tribes of Israel and restore all things. And so, yeah, again, he's, he's always like annoyed that people suggest that's John the revelator. Mm -hmm. But then in, but then in verse 14, when it asks, what are we to understand by the little book that John, that was eaten by John? Um, he says, we are to understand that it was a mission and an ordinance for him to gather the tribes of Israel Behold, this is Elias, who is it, as it is written, must come and restore all things. So that sounds like the exact same mission of the angel from the descending from the east in verse nine. So yeah. what am I missing there? <laughs> <laughs> Help me understand why it's not John the Revelator. <laughs> uh -huh. That's a great question. Uh, you know, with uh, Gileadis, uh references here and, and things uh taking a look that, that john the revelator is a type like all of the aliases are types for each other but they're also a type for the end time servant kind of a thing but i yeah i i don't know <laughs> uh there's lots of different uh conjectures or, or or what have you on that but um to me it does seem like it would be the servant but um that john the revelator is um uh, pointing toward that future event kind of a thing but at the same time he's translated and uh, uh performing that mission i don't know <laughs> if anyone else has sorry you're right it was 77 uh i think it was 77 81 89 93 100 and 102 and it does say that um in the 81 edition they were all taken out i thought we talked about it when we studied the dnc last Mm -hmm. so yeah. but maybe it wasn't because it was in there yeah um that article that i put in the the chat or whatever is really interesting i haven't looked through it yet but um lots of oh, talking about the the etymology of gasoline and um seer stones and all that kind of stuff it's definitely something oh. i'm gonna read later on yeah <clears throat> Yeah. So yeah, remind me why we got Joseph Smith and Gasolina. I forget. Anyway, hopefully it has to do with angels. Yes, you did tell oh. us the name. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, but again, yeah, I'll find a, a link to that other class. I get because I put like a together a chart on all the archangels and and kind of did references why this one would be this one, etc., and stuff based on order. It's on one of my Ezra's Eagles videos, but. Yeah. Sometimes I kind of forget that I put together those classes a while ago and it takes me a while to find them again. I actually started watching them a couple of years ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I stopped. I don't know why. 
Thank you for doing that. I really enjoyed them. Sharing the red heifer one with us. That's very, mm -hmm. really cool. Very interesting. So glad to have that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sometimes it, it's hard kind of looking back at some of your earlier things, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh, like I, I did such a dumb job at some of those. If I were to redo those again, I would do them very differently. <laughs> I'm a little bit prideful and uh, high-pitched in, in some of those videos, but maybe I'm just high-pitched all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I do bit. not know what you're talking about, Cameron. <laughs> I don't think any of us see that, just you. <laughs> yeah, I guess that comes with uh, watching your own things, right? Hearing your own voice almost. Um, let's see, there was one other thing that I was going to base off of Shalise's. Oh, the thigh, right? This thigh thing is, yeah. is very interesting because sometimes we wrestle with angels. And, and I think that that's very interesting. Um, but let me actually share my screen because like on, on Bible Hub, uh, it's always important to go to the original language, right? Because if anything is confusing, um, it sometimes can be cleared up with etymology. Where did that go? Oh, over here. So when we take a look at uh, Genesis 32, 25, and uh, taking a look at at this, let let's actually look at some of the translations before we do. Okay, so I'm on Bible Hub. That's my favorite one. Uh, if you haven't uh, uh, used it or navigated it before, there's going to be a little bit of scrolling. So <laughs> if you get dizzy, don't worry. Um, but uh, here's lots of different ways that different Bibles have translated this uh, passage here. So. Um, uh, when the man saw that he could overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that the hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. I mean, <laughs> very different from King James, but um, uh, when the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket, um, touched his hip socket. Uh, he struck the socket of Jacob's hip, um, touched the hollow of his thigh. Um you see all of these and you're going, oh, well, I think I have a pretty good idea of what it's talking about here. Everybody's doing it as a hip, right? But if we're looking at the Hebrew down here below, it could be a number of different things. And I think that that's just really interesting kind of looking at the etymology here. So when the man saw that, he could not overpower. So um, have power. Uh, it could be yakol. could be uh, quite a few different things. So taking a look at that one because like why would an angel need power over jacob right um that they were not able to um the ability of can um cannot prevail prevail is a, a huge one that i would point to um because prevail doesn't necessarily mean win the match kind of a thing uh, but let god prevail let him be your uh your everything let him be the one that you enter into covenants with um kind of a thing. So anyway, I think that there's an interesting word study that one could do on the word for overpower that we translate as overpower, yakol. And then um, he struck what it can mean to touch, to lay hands upon, to reach. It could mean violently or to strike, but it doesn't have to. Um, the socket, which is interesting. If anybody's in our, our Hebrew group, we, we've learned this word just recently. So Kapaim, kaf, kaf. So this is bekaf, the hollow or flat of the hand, palm, sole, 
um, or it could be a pan. But um, anyway, so we're using uh, kaf or kapaim of Jacob's thigh, loin, flank, or side. So, I mean, this is a huge region of the body that's it's being translated about in throughout the scriptures, right? It's not just his hip, but it could be lots of different things. So let's take a look at that word. Which one did that open in? Yarek. So, uh, under my thigh, it could be, um, there's, I mean, lots of thighs. It could be descendants, loins, uh, direct uh, lineage. Uh, taking a look at the, the base, the shaft, the, the thighs, the, again, base and shaft. But here's where it, it gets interesting. So Exodus, here when we're talking about the tabernacle, it's the side of the tabernacle. So if we also look at the etymology of all of the different parts of the tabernacle, we have the side of the tabernacle, which is this word, but Eve, the, the word for rib that uh, Eve is taken out of Adam's rib is also uh, associated with the tabernacle. So we have um, some different things um, with that uh, comparison, that study that you can take a look at as well. Wait, um, where did you see that? About Eve and the rib? Uh, so um, Eve's rib or Adam's rib that Eve uh, is taken out of is the same word as the uh, the supports for the temple. So the 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 ribs of the temple, the, the structure of the temple, and then the covering of those is the side, uh, this word here. So we have uh, both kind of an Adam and an Eve um, word play going on when we're talking about the, the words of the tabernacle. If you've never done a, a word study on all of the parts of the mosaic tabernacle, uh, I would encourage you to do that. Look at all of the words and look at their originals and see where those are appearing other places in scripture. It's very interesting as that, that plays through. Um, but here- Did you just do that all on Bible Hub? Like what scriptures did you pull up? Mm -hmm. Yeah, just on, on Bible Hub. Uh, take a look at uh, there in Exodus as Moses is receiving the instructions for building a tabernacle. And okay. it's interesting because it's not building a tabernacle with like earthly things. It's not like, oh, and then you're going to fashion some stakes out of wood. It's saying, no, you're going to collect some skin. You're going to collect some ribs. You're going to do this. You're building a person as you're building the tabernacle. And um, here, the sides of the tabernacle, the, the coverings are associated with loins and posterity and um, uh, thighs, as we see with the, the covenant here. So anytime that you're seeing those, the tabernacle is everything because the tabernacle is a body. Um, and we call our body like the tabernacle, the temple, right? Yeah, exactly. And so when things come out the side, so like if you're looking at the tabernacle, uh, right? Uh, <laughs> sorry, I'm. this isn't ministering angels anymore. We need to... <laughs> <laughs> it's cool though. On that. But like take a look at the, the tabernacle as a body. And uh what's the head, the holy of holies? Um, where is is the throat and uh the uh the, the bread and the wine in, in the stomach and in the entrails, and then where does the priest come in and out of out of the womb? Um, as they, they go into the, the Holy of Holies, it's an ascension process through an actual body. And it was always intended to be such because 
as the Lord is leading Moses and guiding him to do things, he's creating a body, this body that when we take the rib out of it, the church is born, Eve is born out of this this body here. Anyway, it's very interesting as all of that happens. And so when Christ is, is crucified, right, we have all three, the blood, water, and spirit there uh, at his crucifixion. But then the Roman soldier turns and uh, notices that the veil of the temple, the the entrance to the womb of the temple is rent. And now the the church can can be born in in that sense so like i mean we have so much imagery but the temple is always a body and so I'm thinking of just as you're talking like just thinking of our washing and anointings and mm -hmm. then at the veil of the temple like that wording is kind of coming to mind so yeah and uh, so does the period again mm -hmm. the what oh, go ahead no yeah. go ahead i'm sorry Oh, no, no, I was just putting that one word in there, that we must be born again uh, to enter into mm -hmm. his presence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, but I was thinking that you, when you were talking about Christ being crucified, that you would mention something about him being pierced in his side. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we have like the blood, water, and spirit, all things that are necessary for a birth. Um, I guess that's when the blood and the water came out, right? Mm -hmm. yeah the, okay. the spear piercing his side is so important to the story i mean if we didn't have that we would be missing the whole uh emphasis on on a birth or a rebirth a death and uh resurrection uh, imagery because we have to have that water gush out of his side don't you love how the lord uses everyone for his own purposes because it was a soldier that pierced his side he had no clue what he was doing like why he was doing, I mean, he thought he knew why he was doing it, but he didn't realize the symbolism that it would invoke and the necessity of it. Mm -hmm. and so I, I love that. And it was John that uh, made sure that that got put in, that, mm -hmm. that it was water mm -hmm. there. So he knew the significance of that. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. There's so much gospel symbolism that you can understand why it is because it would just be too much to digest just all at once kind of a thing. It, it takes a process of, of learning all of these different things and uh, taking a look at them. But I tell you, especially like going to the synagogue last night and different things, we sometimes just do ourselves such a disservice. Uh, the, mm -hmm. These um, Jewish people, these Hebrew uh, natives i would call them <laughs> uh just they get this stuff and uh, they understand what's going on and what the symbolism is pointing to um but we are often are just completely clueless oblivious oblivious yeah. because we have the covenant we have our ordinances that's all we need and now you can see why the last the first will be last and the last will be first <laughs> yep, exactly they get it and we don't mm-hmm yeah. So in circling back to uh, uh, the wrestle that Jacob had with the, the angel, so why would you say that, um, why is this thigh touching physical wrestle so important? Um, if we're taking a look at the symbolism and different things, uh, he wanted a blessing. And whenever you encounter somebody, don't forget to ask for the blessing because they're there to bring you a blessing. If you don't ask for it, you may miss the opportunity. What, what but is that all? Is that all temple imagery? 
was it like rending the veil, like the veil was parted? Yeah. Because we ask for a blessing, right? Mm -hmm. We ask for a blessing every time we go to the veil. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, I think that there's a multifaceted layered thing there. And, and that's definitely a, a key part of uh, our rites in the, in the temple. Anyway, yeah, because it seems like such a... Any other thoughts? Like, I want to know, like, I want to know what other thoughts there are. Mm -hmm. Well, I think when we do have our own heavenly messengers, we need to be sure and ask for that blessing, too. Not to forget. And brush up on our wrestling skills. <laughs> yeah, like I said, didn't he mention Joseph Smith in here, too? Like, maybe that's why Joseph loved yeah. him. <laughs> I, just, uh, it's not really a physical wrestle. I mean, that's unholy. I I feel like that translation throws it all off mm -hmm. and puts contention in it when it's not contentious, but we do have to work. There is work as we approach and discuss and ask. There is spiritual work, but I don't think it's a physical thing that just makes it so base. Well, also what it, to me, I've always struggled with this scripture because it shows that the Lord doesn't want to bless us and we have to, you know what I mean? Like we, yeah, like we have to, okay, fine. I'll give you the blessing kind of thing where yes, we do have to have the spiritual wrestle with the Lord, but it's more approving of ourselves, not beating it out of the Lord. That's kind of what it looks like, like well, a beating, you know? Yeah. I, I think it, you know, the, the imagery that I think of is just Enos's wrestle with the Lord, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's the one that seems to be I, the image that makes sense to me. Me too. That's the one that I vote that I think, but when you physically, when you read that, I can see where the world would think differently because that is not, it sounds like the Lord is not a loving, giving Lord that you really have to almost threaten him to get a blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that the right way to say, it? I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Words sometimes don't do justice, but like it's blessings don't come easily. Mm -hmm. And so taking a look and at that's, what came out of it, um, that if, if Jacob wasn't necessarily on the level in order to receive the blessings that the Lord wanted to extend out, he's going to send an angel to, to wrestle or give the the test the abrahamic test or whatever is necessary that you have to wrestle against in order to receive said blessing so it's just the converse right of uh, uh what it kind of seems on on a surface value that the lord is so ready to to give us higher blessings but he's bound by laws just as we are and he can't give those to us unless we've proven ourselves and uh, are ready for them and so there's a wrestle uh, that has to happen in order to prove to the Lord that we are ready mm -hmm. to learn the things that we need to uh, receive. Like, I think it talks about that in here, doesn't it? Where like the Abrahamic tests and um, that mm -hmm. uh, there's such a blessing um, really when we come out on the other side of it, because we've learned and grown. And so that we can now merit higher things. And so these angels are sent to 
wrestle with us or uh, provide the the tests necessary for such a thing. Last week right. I was at my son's wrestling meet and I, I thought of the re the wrestle, you know, and I'm like, this is brutal. Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? You know, this, just yeah. watching my son just just fight for his life. That's what it's like in real life. But I wanted to touch on what you just said about, you know, about this, um, this proving ground, because mm -hmm. like towards the end, he talks about it also. And lately, I've just been, I, I'd just like to hear what you guys say, um, really afraid of the next thing. Like, you know, like, what is it going to be? Like, I just feel like, oh, I'm just, I'm going to lose my house. My husband's going to not be able to work. You know, I'm like, I automatically think of the worst thing or the hardest thing that would, could happen um, in this, you know, in my life right now uh, that, that would help me to ascend. And I, I guess I just it's kind of, it's scary to me. And I'm like, I don't know, I'm not sure I'm ready for that. But yet I, my heart just almost cries out for, uh, you know, ascension and just like whatever, whatever it takes. But then there's this fear of, oh my gosh, it's going to be so bad. Like my house is going to fall down. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you, how does everybody deal with that? You know, that fear that, um, because Avraham talks about it a lot about like, you know, oh, and it's going to be hard, you know, like he'll say stuff like that. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I've already really done hard. I've done a lot of hard. Yeah. So. Exactly. It can be almost crippling at, at times, uh, thinking ahead and, and what might come kind of a thing. But, but yeah, I, I'd love to. But that's where the fear, that's where the fear comes, not the faith, right, is what can be when you get in the thick of it. I think you just like you rise up. I think you surprise yourself and you rise up and do what you have to do. That's mm -hmm. true. And that's where um, relying on the Lord comes. Yeah. I, I think that father Abraham is like the perfect example of all of it. Right. Um, uh, throughout his entire life. I really didn't understand Abraham's life before that book, but just, look taking a look at even the the earliest things that he was always trying to do the right thing and and wanting the right uh blessings and so he's asking for those and then man he just gets um yeah surprised or sideswept or, or whatever with something totally different. oh we're actually going to kill you you're going to be put on the altar kind of thing or whatever and he's like all right i mean this is this is hard um but i still am going to to call upon the lord and okay, you make it through and then you go on to the next thing <laughs> and, and it just kind of comes, but uh, it's more about seeking the blessings rather than seeking the test kind of a thing. I, I think mm -hmm. Abraham talks about that once in uh, one of these lectures, like, um, okay, when you do want to ascend, don't be seeking the tests because you're, that's looking beyond the mark kind of a thing. Seek the blessings that you want and the Lord will provide the right tests in the right time and in the right order kind of a thing for you. I love that. Because sometimes, I mean, because he's a, a loving God and sometimes if we ask for the hardest thing without all of the, the precursor yeah. stuff, like we're going to get it, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, looking for the blessings that you need and want and uh, merit and um, 
keeping an eye focused on on that and and the lord will fill out the rest and provide the tests when we need them kind of thank a thing. you for simplifying that that thank you so much that's it really does bring it more into a faithful perspective and focus thanks mm -hmm. I, I do abraham <laughs> go ahead oh, no. abraham was um like he was seeking that translation and then realized after he had isaac you know He's the one going to be Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to all of us. So he stayed. Mm -hmm. He didn't go. Yeah. That was like, I mean, that was his life's goal. And he lived all those years and he stayed and saw it all through. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love that example. Like with uh, Abraham, we see it with lots of different uh, prophets, but like uh, Abraham and uh, Ezra is, is one that I really enjoy with that that um they're often asking these questions they're they're looking for this blessing but they're aiming a little too high for their current stature uh, i mean it's good to to have that as an eventual goal but their messenger so abraham's messenger at the time goes you're asking the wrong thing let's let's do this for part first and then with ezra uh, uriel keeps reprimanding him you're asking the wrong question. You're asking the wrong question. And then Ezra finally gives up and he's like, okay, fine. What question do you want me to ask? <laughs> and then he finally gets it. Oh, I was, I was looking too far ahead. I, I need to, to get all of these precursory steps in there before. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Oh yeah. Jennifer. Well, I just, I feel like I live sometimes in fear and the idea of when I started to understand that living the law of consecration that we commit to is something, it's not just like going to be a law that's, you know, a request from the prophet at some point, but we're actually supposed to start having that in our heart in order to see God is what I feel that that, and I just kind of thought, oh, am I ready? And what am I doing? And I had that thought about my house and I don't think I... I'm sad if I ever have to leave my house or anything, but I love my memories of my children and everything in the house, like little things about, oh, we had these memories here. We have this. And I would be so hard. It would be hard for me to let go of that. And so I was kind of mourning that. So I think I was ahead of myself a little bit. Like I don't, I can still love this. And the idea came to me that, well, maybe when my mansion in heaven I can rebuild my house exactly. And maybe I can have the little plates and the little that are not worldly in terms of like, like gold and silver. Like I have to have riches, but they're just the little memories. And I thought, Oh, I can take these, I can rebuild this in maybe in my mansion in heaven. And I know that's a dumb thing, but the, the, it really helped me think, okay, if I have to let go of things here, that are precious to me, that's okay. I'm gonna spiritually have them as memories and I'm gonna take the things I love. And so we give up things, but it's just the worldly part of it. And that kind of brought me a little bit of hope that I don't have to say goodbye to love, the love that I enjoyed in these, these times in our lives. So that kind of, it's helping me. If I ever have to, I just, I'm gonna have a little more faith that, you know, Anyway, thoughts. Yeah, I think what we need to remember too, when we're there, to, uh, we don't, we don't have, right here. Time is linear, you know, and we don't have that there. Remember, God is on a sea of glass, 
and he can uh, he he lives before now after and so what we have i, I mean it's going to be right before us like your yearman thumbum because i thought that too with the home i grew up in and when my parents died all the things there and and it's just bricks and mortar but uh for me it was a time and a place and a people but we'll have that because we don't have linear time there mm -hmm. yeah i love that sometimes it's hard to to make that sacrifice of like oh yeah i've got to leave it behind only to realize, oh, it's all it, <laughs> uh, it's here. Yeah, uh, non-linear time there. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Did you raise your hand again, uh, Jennifer? Or um. Oh no, sorry. Do I have to put, get rid of that? I don't know how to do it. Oh no. Yeah, it, it's totally fine. Uh. Yeah, Lisa. Let's see. You're muted. Sorry. There, is that better? Yep. Okay. And I'll, I'll lower my hand now too, so I won't, don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> I've been thinking about some of the comments that have been shared in the group. And I think it's, um, and it's hard for me to articulate this, but it feels like um, when we are in our moment, not in the future, you know, not in the past, but we are here, we are in the presence of the Lord because this is the only place he can speak to us. And so if we start to begin to project fear onto a future or even onto the past, I mean, we can get really emotionally involved with the past. I think that we begin to lose our anchor and our mooring that is right here, right now where we're receiving. This moment is a miracle. I mean, this right now is an absolute miracle. It is a gift from God. And each step that we take from this anchored holy place as we stand on this holy ground in his presence right now allows us to take the next step and then the next and then the next. And we don't know. It's all. He's the master puzzle maker and solver but when we learn to depend on him he takes us on a journey that is miraculous and we will be joyful and we will reflect on it and we will say that was curated just for me because he cares about me yeah i love that thank you yeah I, sometimes the human nature is is to to dwell in the past or the future and and it's so important to stay focused in the now stay grounded and um and present because uh we'd miss all the the blessings if if, if not love that i love the word presence too when you say in the lord's presence it's you know what what lisa said it's in the present you can only experience him in the present moment it's his presence because it's right now yeah. this moment love it and isn't that kind of uh one of our follies as as members of the church or, or believers that we're always thinking oh well that'll happen eventually you know i have to make it to the celestial kingdom before i can ever come into his presence but if you're like no, no. <laughs> presence in the present then then it makes it a whole different story that that's actually possible i love that training our minds now to want to invite ourselves into his presence training that desire in us now 
I love that. So in in summary of all of this this lecture, not that I'm ending, but like <laughs> uh what would you guys say is the role of ministering angels then? Like what is the overarching theme? Uh where where are they at on the ladder to heaven and and what is their mission? Because I think that that's so crucial to read all of these different examples, all of these um stories and, and prophecies of, of ministering angels and then go, okay, but now what? Like what is the role of ministering angels and how can we better act as such and with such um in our lives? How would you guys answer that? They keep us on track. Like you look at Alma, he talked about Alma the younger. He was not where he's supposed to be. Look at um shoot Saul, right? He kept him on track. Um Mary kept her on track when he announced that she was going to be the mother of the savior, like, oh, and told her what she needed to do. Kept Joseph on track when he was not going to marry her. I mean, in kind of a way, it just points the direction of where it's like our Leahona, kind of, maybe, to show us the direction to go. Other times, um, when we read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they are like saviors, right? rescuing um alma um is it alma and amulek was it in the in the prison well sometimes it's saviors that like rescuers in that sense but they keep us on track and rescue us that's kind of what i saw mm -hmm. yeah I find uh, one of the the statements that Avraham makes in here is uh, that messengers are always sent to to bring us into the presence of God. That we can't do it on our mm -hmm. own. As such, uh, we have a different ladder. Or wherever we're at on the ladder, we're ministered to by the ones uh, immediately ahead of us. Um, and as we ascend, our ministering angels uh, change guard or ascend as well, until we are actually ministered to by the Father um, in the the upper. Uh, echelon of, of the celestial kingdom kind of a thing and and i think that that's so interesting taking a look at that god has such a perfect order to his ministering mm -hmm. program <laughs> and and as we learn to to become higher and holier people to minister to to those around us um and uh, be this for for those uh in our families and communities and and world uh the importance of becoming not just uh anxiously awaiting our ministering angels but also becoming one ourselves and that's kind of the whole plan that isaiah lays out i think that's what i meant when i said keeping us on track like yeah. keeping us like keeping us on track of ascension and what we're doing because we can't do it ourselves mm -hmm. yeah and then you're right. That's the next thing I was thinking of was, so what does that mean for us? As President Nelson told us, we're ministers. Like, what is our role? Mm -hmm. I think one of the truths about what you were just saying, Cameron, is that when we are around someone who's already mastered a spiritual principle, it's like an energy vibration that we are able to feel and it teaches us so when we surround ourselves with people who are also sharing our goals and aspirations, we can be 
ministered to even in subtle ways just being in the presence of someone who has mastered something teaches our spirit you know i think that that's why i like these book clubs and these discussions so much because y'all have mastered lots of different things and together we have a a great form a great friendship to to discuss the things that we've learned and uh and mastered and, and different things and uh learn to to assimilate those things in, in our own lives. One of my favorite talks of all time is uh, Elder Bednar's talk, um, uh, Quick to Observe, because he's talking about the gift of discernment, but there's a gift that's required before you get the gift of discernment, and it's the gift of being quick to observe. And if you don't have that gift, you'll never get true discernment. You'll never be able to discern angels and, and those that minister to us. You have to be quick to observe. And uh, just like what you said, Lisa, that... Uh, being surrounded by others who have mastered certain um, uh, skills or proven themselves worthy in, in lots of different aspects, and then being quick to observe what the pattern is and implementing it into our own lives. Because sometimes looking just straight at at God, it's it's almost unattainable. You're just like, I don't know, it's too perfect. I, I'm never going to be there. But looking around at, at everyone else and going, oh, that's something that I want to incorporate. I'm, I'm going to be quick to observe and, and follow your pattern for this and your pattern for this, that we're just kind of gleaning all of these things in our, uh, these present relationships. I, I love that. And that makes me think of, cause I was thinking about how we need to have humility because if we're prideful, we won't listen to the angels, but it also made me think in the section too, that we haven't talked about really. Um, he talked about unbelief a little bit. And so when, you know, we need one of the hindrances to our belief is pride, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or the lack of humility. Yeah, for sure. I love that. Um, oh, sorry. I didn't see the chat. So Shalise says a recommendation to read or listen to an allegorical book called Hind Feet on High Places. Oh, yes. For a study of our journey and for the role fear and trust play. Cannot recommend this little treasure more. I believe Alethea brought it to my attention. Yeah. I, I wish I had. I've never heard of that book. <laughs> I think it was Amy, but yeah. Uh, I've yeah. got the book. I, I bought it that, that same day, but I haven't read it yet. So <laughs> Yeah, it was okay. Amy. It, it's fabulous. I'm going through it the third time. It's amazing. Yeah. Okay. What's the name I of would... it? High feet on high places. I would recommend listening to it on Audible. The lady that reads it is a British and it's just joyful. Like it's absolutely, it makes me weep with gratitude and joy. It is so present in my life. I read it in December and it still comes to my mind every single day. And it helps me call out all the voices in my head. Hmm. It, I just, it's changed my life. I shared it with Maria and Tracy and we just are giddy over it. Thank you, Amy. Was it Amy that told it's us about Amy. it? Yep. Gosh, it was, it's so good. It It's written in the fifties by a Christian woman. It's not even, you know, and it sold millions of copies. So I'm sure this, this allegory has helped so many people see life a little bit more clearly. It, Can you it just spell the first word in that one? H-I-N-D 
Oh. A hind is a female red deer. So it's talking about these little deer feet that are able to climb on high places. And the main character's name is um, much, afraid. much Afraid. And she wants to be like the deer and climb up these high, beautiful places, but she's so afraid to do so. And it, the, the author is so, I cannot believe she got the gospel so perfect from just Christian life and reading. It had to be inspired. And the end of the book, she tells her personal story and it's as amazing as the story, how she came about writing Heinz Feet. It's, it'll change your life. Cameron put the link in um, Amazon because I was looking for it. Oh, I just looked it up. Uh, the Kindle. Yeah. Yeah. But the Kindle version is 39 cents. Is that right? Is that what it's showing up for you guys? Uh -huh. Yeah. And so if you have like an audible account or whatever, yep. it was just included with your membership. But if um, you're purchasing the, the Kindle version uh, for 39 cents, hardcovers 14, paperback nine. I want to see what it is on Audible because sometimes your Audible credit is fourteen ninety five, right? And the mm -hmm. book is seven ninety nine. So I'd rather pay the seven ninety nine than my Audible credit for it. You'll love listening to it. It's so beautiful. Yeah. Is that Maria? Um, but yeah, and then Elena put a link to uh, a children's movie uh, about it. I haven't seen. Oh, it. Thank you. They've made a beautifully um, illustrated book, a paperback that's illustrated, and it it's just so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, is I it, can't even. Let me um, share my screen so I can see. Is this the illustrated book that you're talking about, or is it a no? Nope, that's book? just a paperback. Okay. Um, are any one of that the, one? This oh, no. no, 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 that's not. No. That's a paperback of it. There it is. Oh, it must be that one. Yes, and it's oh, so beautiful. An engaging visual journey. <laughs> I wonder, I've never heard of such fascinating books before. <laughs> yeah, it's, I can't, it's such a treasure. Mm -hmm. I'm astounded. Hmm. Oh, so are you saying we need to have another book club after this? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. It would be a short one. It would take maybe a month, but oh, you guys. So it's good. so, like, I literally listen to it twice and then I had to buy multiple copies because I want to go through and highlight and and write down the, the gospel principles that she just gels so incredibly well. Yeah. There's sacrifices all the way along her journey. There's her finally giving up her entire self. Like it's just hmm. I'm all about nonfiction, right? I'm all about just give me the doctrine, just give it to me. I don't need the fluff. And this book was all fluff and doctrine rolled up in one. It was just like the most beautiful presentation. I I could go on and on. I'll stop. <laughs> I, love, I remember when Amy first uh, uh, mentioned it or whatever, and she's like, guys, I, I can't uh, stress enough how uh, fun mm -hmm. this book was or whatever. I'm like, okay, I, I bought it. But, uh, you know, like I just... <laughs> I guess I need two or three witnesses to compel me to read things. <laughs> you got them more than two or three. <laughs> On your drives to the temple today, you have something to listen to now. <laughs> There's this little um, 
temple worker in my temple and she's British. Uh-huh. And I just start weeping when I hear an initiatories because I think of the hind places lady that read it. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like it just triggers me uh-huh. in a good way. Uh-huh. Huh. That's fun. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> yes. Thank you. And thank you, Shalise, for bringing that up again. Yeah. It's always on my mind and I've thought to mention it, but I'm like, oh, they already know. I didn't know. I, I must know. have missed that one. <laughs> but when the when um who was was it who was talking about fear, Jennifer? Jennifer, yes. I'm like, I I have the same fear. I don't want to lose my comfort and my home and how's it gonna look? And and then I think of Heinz feet and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah. take it, take it all. Like, let's get this done. I yeah. have no fear. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I tell myself, you have no fear. Mm-hmm. Huh. I just I have to share me. an experience because there's something that I've been really afraid of in a trial that I've been facing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, when I was gone the last time I was in Utah and with my friend and she just really questioned me and made me think of things I didn't want to think about. And I just was weeping and weeping. And she dropped me off at my friend's, another friend's house because we were going to St. George to a woman's retreat the next morning. And I just talked with her for a while. And I just got all my tears out and went to bed. And it was just like, I just don't know how to move forward. I don't know what to do. Like, I have no, I don't, I don't, I'm not a plan B person. I just am not like, I'm super flexible, whatever happens, I'll figure it out. I just never, my husband's very plan B and C, like he's the one on the plane where all the exits, you know, and I'm like, ah, we'll figure it out, you know, (laughs) if we need it. But every time he flies, even when he knows all the planes, he looks for the exits and how to get there and how many rows and everything. And I just, I'm not that way, but that night because I was so distraught Heavenly father woke me up at four 30 in the morning telling me what a plan B is and how I could do a plan B and how I would be okay. And it gave me so much peace. And I just felt like I needed to share that, that sometimes when we get to that point where we feel like we're breaking that heavenly father steps in and shows us how we can move forward, even in our fears. And um, and just, I had some really sad news um, a couple Mondays ago. And that night I went to sleep and I was just exhausted, but my mind was like, you have to go to the temple in the morning. Like you have to run to the temple. And um, I just couldn't make the appointment right then. I was too exhausted. And I woke up and that was the first thing I did was run to the temple. And that was what I chose to do was initiatory. And on my way out the door, my fourth son and his wife were living with us. And I said, when I get home, will you give me a blessing? And he didn't know anything that was happening when he gave me the blessing. And from that point... 
the Lord has given me this confidence that I have not felt ever, like just this power and confidence that I know. And it's not a confidence in me. It's a confidence in the Lord. And, um, and in the past when I needed it, like words were given to me, I had no thought in my head of what to say. And my mouth would just open and the words would be there. And it's even more powerful now. Like I just know, and I just have a confidence. And so I just wanted to testify that when you get to that point of fear and to the lowest point, that the Lord will strengthen you. I think that that's, you know, overcome the world and find rest. I think mm -hmm. that's what it, it's all about because we live in some real troubled times and I, I think it'll get worse before it gets better, but not to fear because What's going to give us our strength is our covenants. Look at the Willie Martins. They were trying, everybody was getting their endowments, receiving their endowments before they left. And all these years I thought, well, it didn't do them a lot of good. What did it do? You know, but then I didn't realize the power in it. The power was they would get through it. It doesn't take it away, but that you're yoked and you've got power. And so I think it's in the temple, in our covenants, mm -hmm. that we are going to have that power to get through whatever there is. Not that it will be easy, but, but we'll do it. And we won't be alone. We'll have angels and we'll have, well, physical angels and, and celestial angels. I think we're going to have them. We're going to have miracles that we didn't even know, expect. I'm, at least I'm banking on it. <laughs> well, that's the whole point of like, like Isaiah, studying Isaiah and just the scriptures in general is just what Alicia said. I love, she said, it's not a confidence in me. It's a confidence in the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's. That's so powerful. Surrender everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I just want to share something else since you brought it up, Kathy. Um, I'm trying to find where I wrote it. Um, here it is. The Lord guided me right to it. So I just recently shared this. I wish I could share you pictures, share with you the pictures, but I can't put them in the chat. But um in the scripture come, uh, oh, it's in Matthew 11 and I didn't copy and paste it. Um, Matthew 11, 28, let me pull it up. You could share the screen. Um, I could. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. I don't want to miss um, it, but I need to go to the baptism right now. Why do you have to do it right now? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. It'll be on the recording. Matthew okay. 28 to 30. <laughs> Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest into your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so I've said this for a while, but I actually wrote it in my New Testament class. So this is what I wrote. What if light is referring to a, isn't referring to a weight? What if it's referring to the light of Christ? And a yoke, what is a yoke? I'm a seamstress. And to me, a yoke has another meaning. A quote, a yoke is a shaped panel at the shoulders or waist of a garment used to control shaping and fit. Yokes come in so many enticing styles, simple rounds, full rounds, squares, and more. Consider straight yokes or tunics or angle sides. 
side yokes on dresses. And then I gave some examples and I'll show those to you in a moment. So in DNC 11, 7 through 8, Elias Higby asked the Lord questions in reference to Isaiah 52. He asked, what is it meant to put on thy strength, O Zion? And what people Isaiah had reference to? This was the answer. He had reference to those whom God should call in the last days, who should hold the power of the priesthood to bring against Zion and the redemption of Israel. And to put on her strength is to put on the authority of the priesthood, which she, Zion, has the right to by lineage. So also to return to that power, which she had lost, unquote. So in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, is Christ inviting us to go to the temple, clothed in the robes of the priesthood and learn of him to gain a greater and deeper knowledge and understanding. In so doing, we will find rest that is not found in this world. I also have to add to have the light of Christ, right? To gain the light of Christ. A couple of... Um, Okay, that was all I wanted to share. So let me share my screen. Oh, you have to allow me to share my screen. Oh, sorry. Uh, geez, how do you do it in this new? It's on security. You go down to security and then you just have to click enable participants to share screen. I think it is. There we go. So these are some yokes. Hmm. So is the Lord telling us, really? I mean, I don't doubt we have to be yoked like oxen. I just think that's a very shallow definition mm -hmm. of yoke. Wow. Is he inviting us to go to the temple to gain greater light, knowledge, understanding, insights, have the light of Christ, and to put on his yoke. Oh, just... Yeah, I love that. Wow. I'd be doing a word study on yoke in the <laughs> Old Testament. <laughs> so anyways, that's what I wanted to share. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just because Kathy brought it up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Love yeah. um, I just not to add anything, but um no do. That was so amazing. I would love your write-up if you could email me that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm gonna do the yoke study as well. The verse before what you read in St. Matthew um talks about um no man know the father unless they come through the son, mm -hmm. unless the son has revealed himself. Yep. And combining what you said and what Kathy said about um, taking that a little further, that our covenants um, give us that confidence. And really, it's not the covenant. There's no merit in the covenant alone. It's it's what the covenant does. Um, what you're alluding to is it brings us into his presence. Like we have our confidence because we know him, right? Right. Like it's. It's all this effort is actually to, to know him. And that's where our confidence can wax strong and we have no fear. And, and yeah, that's it. 
That's, that's what, that's why when I read that scripture, this was a couple years ago and it was like, what if light, like we always think he'll make our burdens light. Like we think about in the new, in the, um, was it the people of Limhi who said the Lord made their burdens light? Like we think of it like heavy burdens and we think of it like a weight, but what if it's not, what if it's the light of Christ? That's the way we always look, read that the context. We always read it because we think of yoke as oxen pulling something a weight. It's so heavy. It's so heavy. Hmm. I don't think that's what it is. I mean, I, everything's got multiple layers and I don't think, I don't think it's wrong, but I think there's a greater layer. And then I don't know, this is funny. I also wrote something else. I just felt inspired to share with you right now. Um, I woke up this morning and my teacher had made a comment on my reflection and insight. So I went and read it and I was like, that's weird. Cause he says, I'm going to go look up this guy now. And I'm like, this doesn't speak about another person. I wrote two reflections and insights and I don't know why. And I turned in a different one, but my teacher also mentioned the verse that I talked about. And so anyways, I just feel like I want to share this one with you too. So um, in Mark nine forty nine, for everyone shall be salted with fire and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost his saltness, Wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. And then I just wrote, there's a lot to unpack here. Does this mean that the Lord, does this mean that we will all pass through trials and when we sacrifice, we will be sealed up to the Lord as in we are preserved unto the Lord? In ancient times, salt was used as a precious commodity and used as a preservative to keep food from spoiling. Recently, I've been studying how to use salt to preserve meat. In biblical times, salt was used to signify purification. It was used in the temple to purify sacrifices. It was also used in ritual baths, see Leviticus 2.13 and Ezekiel 43.24. Numbers 18 and 19, the Lord talks about heave offerings of holy things that he gave to the children of Israel and their children, quote, as a statute forever, unquote. And then he says, quote, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord, unquote. In Leviticus 2.13, the Lord mentions seasoning all meat offerings with salt, warning, quote, neither shalt thou suffer the salt of the covenant of thy God to be lacking from the meat offering. With all thine offerings, thou shalt offer salt, unquote. Salt appears to signify both sacrifices and the covenant. So the loss of saltness, does the loss of saltness signify the lack of sacrifice and let, leaving the covenant? So when Christ says that everyone will be salted with fire, is this alluding to burnt offerings? Is he telling us that our lives should be a sacrifice to him? Thinking of Isaiah, is Christ referencing being a son, daughter, servant, or stepping into a Davidic covenant as King Hezekiah did for his people? This would be entering into the emperor vassal covenant. Of course, Christ is the greatest example of a Davidic servant and savior, and he's asked each of us to be saviors on Mount Zion. And Mark is Christ inviting each of us to join him as a Davidic servant in our own sphere of influence. Just some thoughts about this scripture. <laughs> yeah, just some light reading, <laughs> some light thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know, just because we're talking about the fear mm -hmm. and the and the covenant 
and that salt, like, and because I just read it again this morning, I just thought I'd forgotten I'd written that last week. Alicia, that is so beautiful. I am so glad you were inspired to share it. It actually, um, just with the salt, it it reminds me of just another little tidbit in the, Mm -hmm. the salt being used on the sacrifice. Um, I think it was something Rhonda Pickering said once about um, also the, the importance of the salt was to make the sacrifice sweet. It's, Mm-hmm. and uh because it's bland so, it's kind of bland with that right. salt right right but it actually yeah but it actually brings out sweetness and so you just mm-hmm. think of those sacrifices and and that salt bringing out the sweetness of the sacrifice i think is just anyways i love that it's kind of cool. thank you for adding that maybe i'll add, i think i'll add that to my little paper even though i already turned it in but anyway just some just some light reading and thoughts that I've had about <laughs> the yoke, the covenant, and salt. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> anyway. Wow. Thanks for letting me share. Thank yeah. you. So glad you did. I was also kind of struck, and I want to do a little bit of research just in lieu of what I shared at the end of last week when we were all done. Up a minute. Oh. Like a like a fifty. Like a yeah. Fifty. Song. Let's see. Oh, shoot. Well, it is. It's around fifty. Um, yeah. Fifty-two. Like okay. Yeah, in the lecture 51. So he talks about Porter Rockwell and the Nazarite. And then he goes on to talk about the Nazarite. But it just kind of struck my my fancy Mm -hmm. because Avraham specifically talked about, it's interesting how usually the ministering angel comes to the man and then the woman follows. And this time it came to the woman and then the man had to find out. So just kind of struck my fancy in lieu of my little project I'm working on. (laughs) And I hadn't realized that story before um, in all the light reading of the old Testament. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it's so interesting that I don't know. I'm, I'm coming more and more to, to realize how masterfully the the women are, uh, sacredly mentioned throughout the old testament and mm-hmm. uh, getting like a, a new appreciation for that because um you know like we always uh talk about right like yeah it's it's the story of of the men the patriarchal line and not so much the matriarchal line but it's interesting what the lord seems to be doing as these things are compiled and um the women's it it takes more more effort to to study the the women's side of it, but when you do, you realize that uh, there's there's a huge richness in in that, mm-hmm. that female portion of it that you just don't get on a cursory read, you know. Like men are often the ones working and getting the 
the attention for the family, right? And uh, the mother is, is usually with the children in the home uh, doing- Quiet the, in the background. Yeah, quiet in the background kind of a thing. But yet it's the most important role, right? You know, we have our, our three main matriarchs, um, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, um, that are kind of these, um, what do you say? Like on a surface reading, um, you know, they they tend to kind of not go by the rules. They they do what they want to do because they know better kind of a thing. But if you really study their lives, you understand how they got to that place that they did by the hard sacrifices and, and the things that um, they learned how to do. You can tell that they knew intimately what the Lord required of them and uh, how they were able to change the trajectory of the whole world um, because of their faithfulness in, in hearing him and, and everything. And, and likewise with, with all of these, these female characters all throughout the, the scriptures, but, but it takes a lot of work because you actually have to go into the home and see them in their natural habitat kind of a thing versus the men who are just out and about and uh, the ones writing these prolific stories kind of a thing or being written about kind of a thing. I don't know. Uh, in minute 53, right between those, like between the scriptures, Abraham's commentary, uh -huh. he says that now most of the time in the scripture, you see the men are commanded and the woman follows suit, but here it's directly to the woman. So it seems to me that they were somewhat unequally yoked as one might say, and the woman is carrying the day. And then this is the part. And that's a type for our time. Remember, all these patterns are for our day. So consider some possibilities there. So that kind of goes back to what your mom was talking about in our after dis after the discussion discussion last week was why are women unveiled? And when I went back and said, well, I studied the Jewish um, marriage feast. And I think that was part of the reason why the women were unveiled. And she said, yes, like it's an unleashing to me. It's like the unleashing of the power of women at this point. Mm -hmm. And Avraham said that that's a type for our time, remember? And I think President Nelson's alluded to that. You know, like if we lose the moral rectitude of our women, we have lost the world. And then also calling women up to like, I felt like, and I can't find it because I don't remember the exact quote, but I felt like he almost called us up to battle. Like he had the men stand up by by the um what's it called? not the ordination office. of their priesthood what the office of their priesthood office thank you the office of their priesthood but he just said to women like he called us to stand up to to awaken arise to though he didn't do it physically as he did the men mm -hmm. um, interesting just like a random little side note there but that um like offices of the priesthood maintained and then with the young women you just kind of uh, we got rid of laurels and, and classifications it's just as a group rise <laughs> kind of a thing yeah and that very interesting yeah i just i feel like he's really called women to like step into their power find what that that's why he had us study all those sections in the doctrine and covenants like step into your power find out what it is and then rise up and and do what you need to do. Do what you need to do. The Lord will guide you. The teachings of Joseph Smith. There's a section in there on the Relief Society. Have you guys read mm -hmm. that? 
it's really good. I need to go back and refresh on it, I guess. Yeah, which one is that? I know in section 25, it talks about Emma, and I have read the one on Relief Society. Do you remember what section it is? No, I left it at work. I read it at work. Okay. Mm -hmm. I, I just read it this week. It's about... There was some amazing blessings in that, I remember. Yes. And promises and guidance, like what to do. Talks a lot about women blessing with consecrated oil and healing and a lot of that. Well, they did up until the early 1900s. I can't remember which prophet it was said, mm, you need to let your husbands do this. And women just stopped. But I think there's a, a lot of women that are continuing to do that or picking it up. So this is just a thought I've been having, <laughs> mulling it over in my mind, and it goes along with this. All throughout scripture, we see people, including Jesus Christ, not following the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, picking truth over traditions. Yeah. Yeah, not following, not following the church. Mm -hmm. And I've had thoughts, is there going to be a time? And I'm not saying the church isn't true, but is there a time where we have to step out? Is that where stepping into the church of the firstborn begins? That we do things directed by the Holy Ghost, like Nephi did? I was going to say Lehi, Lehi and mm -hmm. Nephi and you know there's there's a lot of examples of of people not following and I think the key is not following the traditions the right. false traditions Joseph not stoning yeah. Mary and putting her away I mean you have it everywhere and is that stepping like being directed by the Holy Ghost is that why we have to hear him and stepping away from the norm and what's acceptable and doing something different, which is then stepping into the church of the firstborn and just entertaining oh. like these kind of thoughts, like, are we going to be called to do things that maybe even we get persecuted by the church for doing. I mean, that's what Laman and Lemuel were doing. They were the church persecuting Nephi. I think we have to pay attention to that story. And yeah, knowing what was happening in Lehi's day, what's what the backstory is, is so important for us today. Um, yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, and these thoughts are just starting to kind of formulate. I don't give a lot of time on them but when something else comes up it's like oh yeah hmm mm -hmm. maybe yeah. that's what that's the, talking about the scriptures are full of that pattern and the scrap mm -hmm. scriptures are for our day and, and repeat yeah everything sure. repeats in the end time if we've learned anything from isaiah right it's all a, a repeat of the lord works by patterns so it's definitely something right is that a pattern you guys have seen? Is it a pattern that you've been thinking about? Am I just all the time? <laughs> like, okay. This week, big time, time for me. Constant. I can't, I, I swear everywhere in the scriptures, it is just popping out. I think it's all over the place. 
Because mm-hmm. I, when I have those thoughts, sometimes I think, oh my gosh, am I apostate? I don't want to be apostate. You know, I don't want to be, but this is what I'm seeing. This is what I feel like I'm being moved upon by the Holy Ghost to learn. So, yeah, I just didn't know if I was alone in those well, thoughts because it's not something you want to speak out, right? Mm-hmm. Well, but I think it's also important to recognize what did Christ do? You know, he didn't. You know, he was technically still in the church. He was still going to the synagogues. He was still there, mm-hmm. you know, but he was just, he was living the true gospel, not just, he, not the precepts of men, you know, right. that were told. In, Mingled again, with scripture. Think, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think we have to look at those patterns and apply them to our day for sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm glad that so it's I'm like glad really I'm not alone in those thoughts. To, to know the truth so that we can live the truth, right? Because right, uh, what is tradition? Like that's why study is so important to be in the scriptures all the time and and know what the patterns are so that you can live those patterns and not just because we in the church often get kind of lazy in our studies and you know we, we're just doing traditions and things because that's what's been repeated so much and so we we've lost some of the the little truths along the way and it and the scriptures show us that that's the pattern right like <laughs> through pride traditions enter in and uh it's always the the challenge for uh us as as saints to be studying and live uh true true doctrine all the time but yeah i mean we we see it like uh, elena said it's happening all around us um Mm -hmm. ward and stake has their varying issues or or things to 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 wrestle with and and work through and uh, i think that that's a, a huge pattern for our day yeah. Darlene, you had your hand up, then it went down. <laughs> She's quiet. That was a thumbs up. I was agree- agreeing with this. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah. All right. Well, well, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't plan on sharing any of that with you guys today, but. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank. You. Anyway. <laughs> Yeah. Anything else before we wrap up for the, the day on it? So just oh, we on. didn't talk about the second half at all. <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't make it there. Yeah. Do we want to do that one again? Uh, so next Saturday is a skip week, uh, Roots Tech. Okay. And so um, we're gonna pick up the the week after that. Do we want to just do second half again for for fifteen? That'll make my homework a lot easier. <laughs> yeah. Let's do that. Okay. Because. So. Holy cow, we got to talk about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how that applies to us. That's a big story. Yeah, exactly. All right. There's lots of stuff in there. It's good. I'll send that out so everyone has that. Um, But yeah, anything else? Anecdotal or otherwise? Anyway, we will see everyone in a couple weeks. Yay, (laughs) good stuff. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye.